Well, last week we began a study through the book of 1 Peter by looking at chapter 1. So today we'll go ahead and take a look at chapter 2. You can go ahead and open your Bibles up there, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you get to chapter 2, you'll see that uh, it starts with the word therefore. So let's take a look back into chapter 1 so that we can understand what that word therefore is therefore, because it's the continuation of something that was spoken of in chapter 1. And of course, always remember as we go through these letters that when they were originally written, they weren't separated by chapter and verse like we have them. And our Bible was just one continuous letter. So in order to stay within the context, you know, because we break them up week after week like this, we'll go from one chapter to the next chapter, of course. But in order to stay within the context of the letter, it's good to go back a little bit and read some and then come, you know, up to our study for today. So back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and we discussed these verses last week, um, since you have been or since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart now again i mentioned all this last week but when a person truly comes to faith in jesus christ when they truly are born again they have been purified as it says there by obedience to the truth okay this is the way that our souls become purified by obeying the truth. And do you also see there in verse 22 that this purifying takes place through the Spirit? So this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we must not fight against this work being done in our lives. And that might sound like, well, I would never want to fight against the work of the Holy Spirit, but actually it's easy to do because we are people still in the flesh. We have our own opinions and things like that. And we get influenced by the world around us in so many ways through the media or through television or through movies or whatever it is. There's all kinds of influence that's coming into our lives. But we must realize that the Holy Spirit is doing a work within our souls that is often very contrary to the world around us and to what the world might be presenting to us. You know, kids go to college nowadays. You know, it's a fact that over 70% of Christian kids that go to a secular university come out of that university not a Christian anymore. Over 70% of them who go in as Christians don't come out as Christians. And the reason is, is that they're, they're being fed stuff from through through the through their professors and through the education that they're receiving, and uh, it's it's brainwashing them in many ways. Now I don't say that in a negative sense because any of us can be brainwashed. People get brainwashed by pastors in a sense too that might teach false doctrines. But when we go to the Word of God, we see like we see here that it's talking about purifying our souls in obeying the truth. Okay? And we are called to live, as Christians, we are called to live holy lives here on this earth, and we must not conform to the lust of the flesh and to the ways of the rest of the world around us. And what, it, what, what happens is, is it causes something to take place 
in our hearts, right? It is the word of God that is doing this. And verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And that's very key there where it says through the word of God. So we've been born again through the word of God. So it is the truth of the word of God that we are to be obedient to. And this is the way that a person becomes born again. Like it says there in verse 23, they are born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And all of this is taken place within a person, again, by the working of the Holy Spirit. The day is going to come when our lives here on this earth will be over and it is our souls that we need to be the most concerned with. Verse 24 says, Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So, the word of the Lord, the gospel message endures forever, like we talked about last week. And we are to be, as it's telling us here, we are to be obedient to the truth of the gospel. The word of the Lord endures forever, and the word of the Lord is the only thing that purifies our souls. And we must continue in the word of the Lord, continue in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, we must first receive it ourselves, and then we must live a life of holiness separated to the gospel, and then we must teach it to others. We must live like pilgrims here, strangers in a foreign land, because in actuality, the Bible tells us too that our citizenship is actually in heaven and that we're just passing through, and we'll talk about that more as we go on. So with all of this in mind, verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So the word of God, again, it purifies our souls. And we see here that the word of God causes us to grow, right? We are to mature in the, in the word, right? We should study it through and through in order that we may be purified by it. The person that has been purified is a person that has laid aside the things that are listed there in verse one, okay? This is a good indication that you've been purified in your souls when you lay those type of things aside. That word malice, there in verse one is a word that means ill will or a desire to injure. So ill will or a desire to injure. You see, there are many things that can happen to us in this life by the actions of others. In other words, somebody does something, says something against us, harms us in some way, shape or form. They may injure us or they may show ill will toward us. But when we ourselves are in the word of God, 
Our souls get purified to the point where we can lay aside that type of behavior ourselves. And we don't go that way. We lay aside that malice. We're not out to injure others. We're not out to harm other people. And why is that? Because the Holy Spirit began that work within us. He begins that work within us through the word of the Lord. And we then have the ability to show restraint because the fruits of the Holy Spirit begin to work in our lives and we begin to behave differently. We begin to think differently and we're now behaving in a manner, in a manner that is in accordance with the word of God. Now we also see there in verse one that we are to lay aside all deceit. Now, this speaks of craftiness or guile, right? This is where someone would use trickery or cunning to get something to go their way. Okay, and there can be multiple examples we can talk about with that. I don't really have any on the top of my head right now. But somebody uses trickery or cunning to get things to go their way. And that's deceitful, right? And in this life, you may be faced with the temptation to beat the system, right? Or look for loopholes and things as a way of getting around certain things to get things the way you want it. But as followers of Christ, right, who have purified our souls on the word of God, we realize that we're to lay aside that type of behavior, right? We're to purify our souls in the word of the Lord. We are, the Bible says, to provide things open and honest in the sight of all men, okay? and women, right? Then in verse one, we also see the word hypocrisy. And this word is a word that if you look up its meaning, it's an actor, okay? Someone that is just playing a part in front of others, but they are completely different behind the scenes, right? So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid all that? How do we avoid being a hypocrite? How do we avoid all deceit? How do we avoid malice? that kind of stuff in our lives, we, we avoid it by desiring the milk of the word, like it says there, that we may grow. And we begin to grow in our lives and change in that way. Then we see the word envy there in verse one as well. And the definition of envy as contained in the dictionary is a feeling of discontentedness or resentful longing for someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. That's what envy is, right? A discontentedness or a resentful longing for someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. In other words, I wish I had what they had. I wish, you know, why don't I have what they have? Why do they have that and I don't, right? All of us understand this kind of feeling. Well, this too, as we wash ourselves in the word, we begin to lay aside that kind of thing. Why? Because we become content on keeping our eyes on the Lord and saying, Lord, you have blessed us with this. We can live in simplicity now. We can live in a contentedness now. I don't need what he has. I don't need what she has. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses. I just need your will to be done in my life. And again, this all happens through the purifying of our souls, okay? So the solution for all of this is understanding that we have been born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then 
after we've been born again, like we saw there at the end of chapter one, we're still to continue to desire the milk of the word like we see there in chapter two, right? Verses one and two. We're to, to desire the milk of the word that we can keep growing. So we're born again through the word. In other words, someone gives us the gospel message or in some way, shape or form, we hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ that he died on a cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We begin to walk by that faith. We get into the word of God and we desire the milk of the word that we may grow by it and we just continue to grow through this life, continue to walk by faith in the Lord, okay? So then, now all of this, of course, assumes that someone has come to that place of faith in Jesus Christ and verse 3 says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to, living, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So when we come to Jesus, we understand that we are coming to a living God. Following Jesus is not like following the teachings of Gandhi or Confucius or Aristotle or, or people like that, right? It's totally different. Even though if you go into to books, you know, in secular libraries or whatever, and you'll see Jesus might be on a list with these people. There's Jesus Christ, there's Confucius, there's Aristotle, there's Gandhi, you know, whom, whomever it may be as great leaders or great men, but that's not what the Bible points out to us. Okay? Jesus is the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, the Bible says every knee will bow. So he is God in the flesh. He is alive and well. He rose from the dead. Okay? So um, he was rejected by men, and today he still is rejected by many people, but he was chosen by God and precious, like it says there at the end of verse four, and by his spirit and through the purifying power of his word, he is doing a work within us. He's doing a work within those people that have surrendered their lives to him and have come to that place where they've been born again. He, by his spirit, is doing that work. And then verse five says, you also as living stones. Now pause right there, because here we see the words, you also, at the start of verse 5. So there's, those words, you also, refer us back to verse 4, where it says, coming to him as a living stone. So we know and understand that Jesus is alive and well. He ascended into heaven while he was you know, alive. He sits on his throne now in his glorified body, and he has now given to us life. So we are now living stones. We are now alive. We have that life of Christ in us and we have that abundant life. So we are spiritually alive now because of Jesus Christ in us, whereas at one time we were spiritually dead because of sin and because of the effect of sin on our lives. But we've been born again, made alive, made new, right? And then that verse five continues and says that we are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So 
Do you realize that this is what we are in Christ, a spiritual house and a holy priesthood? And this work that by his spirit and through his word, he is accomplishing these things in our lives, okay? And, and what are we to be doing? Well, like it says there, we are to be offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, okay? So let's talk about some of these spiritual sacrifices, okay? Let's um, turn to Romans chapter 12, mark this page, and turn to Romans chapter 12. And also, while you're turning there, I'll just read that verse again, that we are to be offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The only way spiritual sacrifices are acceptable is if they are through Jesus Christ, not through anyone else, not through any other religion, not by going to this priest or to that person or whatever. It's by through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So in Romans chapter 12, right? So what are these spiritual sacrifices or what are some examples of spiritual sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to present your bodies to the Lord, that's a spiritual sacrifice. We are not to conform to this world with our physical bodies. We're not to be doing what the, the things the rest of the world is doing and the rest of the world says okay when it comes to what we do with our physical bodies. We instead are to um, sacrifice our bodies to the Lord, surrender our bodies to the Lord. We are to renew our minds in such a way that we live our lives here on this earth caring about the things that are good and acceptable and what are the perfect will of God. That's what we should be desiring. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice the distinction being made there, your body and your spirit. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, telling, them, telling us that we're more than what we just see on the outside, right? We, we have a body, right? We, well, let me back that up and say we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live inside of a body, okay? But in our world today, in our society today, it's all about the body, right? Advertising, everything, it's all about your image. It's all about how you look. It's all about the outward. Now, don't get me wrong. Scripture tells us we are to take care of our body because why? Well, I just read it to you. Your, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we're to take care of our body, but it's not all about the body like the rest of the world around us is, okay? So 
we are to care about our souls and to care about who we are spiritually because everything about us, when we come to Jesus Christ, everything about us now belongs to God, okay? Because we have surrendered our lives to him. So it is a spiritual sacrifice when we surrender our bodies to the Lord in every aspect. And it says, this is our reasonable service. Why is it our reasonable service? Well, because Jesus paid it all to redeem us. And if we're going to come to him, right, as a living stone, we're going to come to him and we're going to say, I surrender to you, Lord. I don't want to be in control of my life anymore. It's not about me anymore. I want you, I, I want your spirit within me to now lead me through this life, okay? So now let's look at another example of a spiritual sacrifice. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. To the right of where we just were in Romans, after 2 Corinthians, you'll find Galatians, then Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 5. And um, let's look at verses 1 and 2. So Ephesians 5. Imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also, or also has loved us, and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we see here that walking in love is also a sacrifice. It is a spiritual sacrifice. Christ's love for us was to God a sweet-smelling aroma, like it says there, and we are to be imitators of the love of Christ here on this earth, and that is a spiritual sacrifice, okay? So let's look at another sacrifice. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Toward the back of your Bible from where you are there in Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 13. And let's start reading in verse 15. So Hebrews 13, 15. It says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. So we see there in verse 15 that we are continually to be praising God, and that is a sacrifice. And this we do with our lips. In other words, we praise God with the words that we speak. And, we, and more specifically there, it tells us what praising God is. It is giving thanks to God. There in verse 16, we also see that we are to do good and to share. In other words, it says, don't forget this, though. Just don't spend all your time praising God and giving thanks to God. Yes, do that. That is a spiritual sacrifice. 
but don't forget to get out and do good as well, right? And that can describe a lot of churches today, right? We go into church and, and we praise God, we sing songs or we do whatever to praise God with our lips, but then we go out and we forget to do good and to share with others. This is also a part of that sacrifice. And there it tells us that with such sacrifices, at the end of verse 16, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased, okay? So again, to surrender our bodies to God, like we saw in Romans, to love as Christ has loved us, to give thanks to God continually, to do good and to share with others, these are just a few examples of spiritual sacrifices. And as we turn back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, again, verse 5, I'll read that. It says that we are being built up a spiritual sacrifice, a holy priesthood to do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we just went and looked at some examples of what we are to do, right? Then verse six, therefore it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So again, we are living stones, but Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. He is ultimately the elect one. He is precious. And by believing in him, we will by no means be put to shame. You see, there's no shame for us because Jesus took our shame. We have been made new. We have been born again to what the Bible calls a living hope. Why? All because of Jesus Christ. And we have this hope right now through faith in Jesus Christ. We have that hope of eternal life, okay? And this fact only pertains to those who believe on him. Then verse seven says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So notice there at the end of verse eight that even the people that are disobedient to the word of the Lord were also appointed to the word of the Lord. So salvation is offered to all of mankind. Mankind is not appointed to wrath by God. God wants all people to be saved. He wants people to come to salvation, but there's only one way and that is through Jesus Christ. Now, let's mark this page, and we're going to turn again to Romans chapter 1. This is a very familiar um, passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation 
for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So we talked about this last week, right? The gospel, the word of God is how a person becomes born again. And I touched on it this morning as well. We are born again, like we read, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we cannot be ashamed to proclaim this gospel because there's no other way to salvation. You know, it's, it's just kind of funny how Christians like to bottle up the gospel, unfortunately, because, and they, they don't share it with someone. But you know, if, if you were, we were up on Mount Lemmon yesterday, down in Tucson, as 9,100 feet up. We went down, we visited some friends, and we took a drive up there. And I was thinking, you know, when a fire happens on these mountains, it's like one way down. It's the only way down, you know? And if I were to go to someone and that mountain was on fire, and, and I were to go to someone and say, hey, you've got to go that way. This is, that's the only way. And they would say, oh, you're so narrow-minded. Why are you telling me the way to go? I'm telling you, this mountain's on fire, and that's the only way. There ain't no other way down. You just got to get down that way, and that's it. But they say, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You're trying to beat me over the head with this stuff, you know? I don't want to hear that. What's the only way? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the only way. And we cannot be ashamed of sharing the gospel the only way. Because the only way that's going to keep you from burning, it's the only way that's going to keep you from that fire on that mountain. You know, you got to get out of here. And this is the only way. Then verse 17 says of that gospel that for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So you see, man, again, is not appointed to wrath by God. But God's wrath is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. The ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men suppresses the truth like it says there. Because of Jesus Christ, mankind is actually appointed to eternal life, but this comes only through obedience to the Word. You see, a lot of people think God is against them. A lot of people think that God condemns them. Now, God does condemn ungodliness and unrighteousness, but God loves people. So much so that he gave his only begotten son to redeem them and to offer to them eternal life. But people reject it, like we see in scriptures. People rejected Jesus Christ when he was here. And they're rejecting the gospel now. They're rejecting the way, the truth, and the life. They don't want to hear it. They want to come up with their own way of escape, you know? Then verse 19 because it says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power 
and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So remember, as a part of our spiritual sacrifices, we are to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. Okay? And flipping back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So again, we are called to be obedient to the word and we are, we are called to, to no longer walk in darkness, but rather to walk in the marvelous light of the Lord. And that is what happens when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they come to be born again and they realize that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way that God has offered. My example of Mount Lemmon may fail in a sense that someone would say, oh no, there's another road. You can go down this way. But when it comes to the truth of the word of God, when it comes to salvation, God has offered one way and one name, and that is Jesus Christ. Christ. And at one time, though, we all have walked in darkness and were not children of God. Verse 10 continues, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Do you see that? Our fleshly lust will war against our soul and they'll change who we are on the inside. But he's saying, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, you're just passing through. We are strongly exhorted here to not live the way the rest of the world around us lives. When we get tangled up in fleshly things, they begin to war against our souls. So we are to be strangers. We are to be pilgrims, right? Like verse 10 says, we are now the people of God. We have obtained mercy and we should live in such a manner that reveals this fact to the world around us. Those without Christ they are the natives in this world, right? But we are sojourners, pilgrims, just passing through. So therefore, we are to behave differently. And verse 12 says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that, they, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
So what does that mean, the day of visitation? Well, go ahead and mark this page again, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to give you an example here. Luke chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, then Luke, the third book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 19. And here we'll look at what we studied a, a few weeks back where Jesus was making his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. His disciples were all praising him. And then looking down at verse 37. So Luke chapter 19, verse 37. It says, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So you see, it was just, just like we talked about on Palm Sunday. It was just as plain as day, right? Here comes the Lord. He's entering the city. He's about to go to the cross. And, the, and his death on that cross, of course, would bring salvation to the Jews and to the Gentiles as well. And Jesus is weeping here because this is their day. This is the day of salvation. Salvation is coming to them, but they are missing it. But just as it was then, so it is now. There are people all around you and me today that do not realize that this is the time of salvation. This is the time to come to the Lord. The days are running short and the Lord will return again. Let's read on verse 43. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build up an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. And of course, we know that this literally happened to Israel on a couple of occasions at least, right? and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So there's that word visitation again. It's why I had you turn here, right? They ignored their Savior. They thought that they were just fine without Him, but salvation has come to them. It was their day of visitation and they were blind to it. And as we flip back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, the word of the Lord is telling us here again in verse 12 that we are to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God 
in the day of visitation. So by our good works, the way we conduct our lives, that can have a tremendous impact on the lives of others. They may persecute us for a time and they may say, you know, that we're the cause of all the problems of the world or the Christians are, right? And as Peter writes this letter to the Jews as well, they, of course, were spoken of as evildoers and still are today. But verse 12 here is telling us to maintain good works in front of non-believers so that when their eyes are open to salvation, they will, as a result of our good works, in other words, as a result of the impact we had on their lives, they will give glory to God. I know I can look back at a time in my life when I didn't know the Lord and remember, and I can still rejoice over the fact that one man told me about the Lord. One man read to me from the book of Peter at work and told me about the love of Jesus Christ. And through him telling me that, I ultimately came to a relationship with the Lord because I now rejoice in that fact that he, that by his lifestyle, I was influenced at how he lived, right? So verse 13 will give us a specific example on how we are to live. It says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So here's an example, right? So since you're living like this, since you're pilgrim, since you're just passing through, since your eyes are on the Lord, you're trusting in him, right? Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, okay? So as always, right, our, it's all about the Lord. Our eyes are first and foremost upon the Lord. We live in accordance with his holy word above all else, but then in so doing, we are also law-abiding citizens as well. It says whether to the king as supreme, then verse 14, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So we ought to be law-abiding citizens. But we see there in verse 14 that the purpose of government is to punish evildoers, right? Not only are they to punish evildoers, but they are also, though, to praise or to tout those that do good. Now, unfortunately, today, in many ways, our government has become corrupt, but that doesn't stop us from being good citizens, doesn't stop us from living the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be good examples. We're supposed to have good conduct. We're supposed to live in righteousness. Now, unfortunately, there are many laws that get passed that are anti-Bible, you know, and there may come a day when we have to make a choice and say, you know what, do I abide by this law or do I abide by the law of the word of the Lord? Sorry, I'm surrendered to the Lord. I'm not going to do that even though now you think it's okay, the Bible says it's not okay. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a follower of the word of God. But I'm, in the meantime, I'm going to be a, I want to be a good citizen. I want to help my country. I want to help my community. I want to do good. I want to honor the people that are in authority. Because that's what we're called to do according to Scripture. Because us doing good and living in accordance with God's will Right, Verse 15 says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet 
not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So are you getting the picture here, right? We are to love the Lord, love his word, do good to others just as Jesus did. We should be known as good people in our communities, good people in our places of employment. When we drive on the roadways, when we shop in the stores, right? They may speak evil of us, but our works should put them to silence. They can say, oh, those Christians, have you heard this about those Christians? Do you know they're this? When they don't know anything. Our works should put them to silence. They should look and say, how can I say anything against the good works these people do, right? So the world is full of ignorant men and women that will attack Christianity for any reason that they can find or any reason that they can make up, but we should not give them any ammo against us in the way that we behave. We should be good people. We should have good conduct here on this earth. Verse 17 says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So this is God's will for us right here. Give honor to all people, everyone you come in contact with. Love those within the body of Christ, the brotherhood, right? Reverence God and give honor to those in positions of authority, whether they appear to deserve it or not. Now, what about your jobs? What about the work you do for others? Verse 18 says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly, okay? So we can, um, you know, there are managers, there are supervisors that are good, they are gentle, right? We can apply this to our work lives as we read this, right? And then there are those that are not good and are harsh people. But what the scripture calls commendable here is when we are And we don't become like them. And we don't bite back. We, we become an example to them, you know, by our own behavior. Right? Now, I know this goes strongly against the nature of our flesh, right? Because the nature of our flesh will tell us, hey, you don't have to put up with that idiot. Quit this job, right? Give them a piece of your mind. Tell them to go pound sand. You know, that's what our flesh tells us, right? But we're talking about purifying our souls, aren't we? We're talking about what the Word of God does in us. And we're talking about how we behave in accordance with the Word of God in the world around us. And we do come up against people that will treat us harshly and will treat us rudely. But do we become like them or do we become like Christ? Well, through the purifying of the Word of God, through the milk of the Word of God, we learn to become like Christ and we learn how to handle those situations. We become led by the Spirit, and we can then turn those that, that treat us in an ugly manner, we can turn them to the Lord, right? Always remember that with our fleshly carnal nature, the easiest thing for us to do is to look at the outward to judge another person's actions. But you know, often when I see people that are just nasty and, and mean and, and just mean-spirited, the way they act, you know, I often just look at them and wonder, man, what's going on in their home? What's going on in their personal life that makes them like this? 
And when I take that viewpoint of it, then I can have a little compassion. And then I can say, well, they just said that to me, but man, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. They don't have this hope. They don't have this peace of Jesus Christ. And maybe I can share it with them in some way. And I can pray, Lord, what do you want me to say back to this person? Now, my flesh could well up and I could say and behave just like them. Or I can yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say right now? Or how do you want me to react to this? Right? So we are called by him to good conduct. We are called by the Lord to good conduct. Over and above conduct, right? Then verse 20 says, For what credit is it if you, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So you see, it's just a, a higher character right there. It's, it's a stronger you know, something deeper within that wells up and says, you know what, it's easy for me to be just like him, her, just like her, be just like the rest of the world around me. But what is commendable is when I don't. And what is commendable is when I suffer and I take it patiently. That's something that is commendable, okay? So now you may think, why would anyone speak evil of someone that does good anyway, right? But that's been the case in Christianity for centuries, and that was the case with the Jews as well, the Jewish Christians for centuries as well. But you've got to understand something here. Today, we live in a world where good is beginning to be called bad, and bad is beginning to be called good, right? If you are obedient to the word of the Lord and you discipline your children, for example, today's society says this is bad. But the Bible says it's what we're supposed to do. Okay? If you believe that a baby in the womb should not be murdered and should have the right to live, then you are considered opposed to women. And you are considered you know, narrow-minded. If you believe in the word of the Lord and you know that marriage is a God-ordained institution between one man and one woman, then you are considered intolerant of others. So it's difficult today when good is called evil and evil is called good. And there is that change in our society where we're, you're supposed to accept these wrong things that are against God's word you're supposed to accept them or otherwise you are labeled as intolerant and you have a hate crime on you or something like that. When really you're going back and saying, no, I believe that God is good. I believe that when he created all things in the beginning, he said it was good. And the way he created everything is the way we are supposed to live. Again, we are that's, that's the difference. That's why we, we see the Bible uses the word pilgrims, right? Because we're different. We're different. And we may be mistreated for our difference. There may come a day when someone hears a teaching of mine, and I, you know, I just want to reach out to people in love. I want to see people come to Jesus Christ. 
because he is the way, the truth, and life. Why? Because I came there myself. I, I had that experience. You know, I, I used to use the example, you know, if I had, if I knew for a fact the winning lottery numbers, and you knew for a fact that I knew them, and I had them, and they were right, and I had them, would you want me to share it with you? Right? And everybody would say, yeah, I want you to share it with me. Because that's something good. I, get, I win the lottery. I get all that money, right? Well, I've got something far better than that that has happened in my life. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the word of God. And I have to share it, right? But when I share the word of God and I read the word of God and it points out what sin is, people get offended because of their sin. They get offended and they say, oh, you're, you're full of hatred, you're a bigot. You're intolerant. You won't accept me just the way I am. You know, look, I'm the first one to tell you that we are Americans and we have the right to, to do what we want to do as people of America, right? But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to your eternity, it's a different story. It's the word of God and the word of God only. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I Woe to me, like the Apostle Paul said, woe to me if I do not share the gospel because God has placed it in my heart and has changed my life with it and has put me on a whole new different path. And he's taken, you know, someone that was once lost and full of anger and hatred, and he's now given me peace and he's now given me joy and he's now given me hope. And I want others to know this hope, right? But the only way to come to it is through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the time may come in our lives where we are persecuted for, for standing for the word of God, for standing for righteousness, for standing up for life, you know? So re remember, Jesus did nothing but good, and they crucified him, okay? So verse 21 says, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So verse 21 says that we are to follow the example of Jesus. Okay, He led a sinless life. He didn't speak deceitful words. He didn't fight back. But instead, he was a humble man that committed himself to God the Father. You see, it is indeed difficult to live this life here on this earth in a righteous manner because we will suffer when doing so. But this is what we are called to do as followers of Christ. We are to let go of our desire for revenge. Let go and let God, like the saying says, right? Let him have control of all things. Like we see in the first three verses of this chapter, we are to lay aside malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And we are to desire the milk of the word that we may grow thereby because we have come to the Lord and we have tasted, like verse 3 says, we have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
And we know as verse 24, speaking of the Lord says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So there again, it's all about our souls. It's about purifying our souls. We have a shepherd of our souls. We have an overseer of our souls who we have returned to, okay? So you see, the world has gone astray, but so once did we. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on that cross, and we are now to live a life that shows we have died to sins. We are now to live in righteousness because Jesus has healed us from living in sin. With Jesus as the shepherd and the overseer of our souls, we can now live our lives in a righteous manner, doing good to others, honoring those that are in position of authority because we know that in the end, it's God that is the judge anyway, okay? And the just will receive their reward and so will those that practice evil. But there is never an excuse for us to live the way the rest of the world around us lives because we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are strangers. We are just passing through. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, your life-giving word. Lord, your word that changes us from the inside out, Lord. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, that we will continue to desire the milk of your word, that we may grow thereby, Lord. And all of this, we know, is because of the work of your Holy Spirit within us, Lord. And we pray for those, Lord, who we know who have not come to salvation in you, who have not come to that place of that hope, that peace, that joy of knowing eternal life in your name, Jesus. We just pray for those and we pray that you will use us as ministers of your gospel as we go forth into the rest of this week. We pray your will to be done in our lives and through our lives, we pray, and in the lives of those we come in contact with. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.